It was 800 pounds. 800 pounds. No, it wasn't this guy, but this is a gorilla, but isn't he cute? I just thought I'd put him up there. But about this sort of weight, this thing was 800 pounds of solid wood and cable and steel, and I didn't really know what to do with it. It was crazy big, and it scared me to look at it because I didn't want to touch it because I felt like if anybody tried to move it, someone is going to die. So there was options. You know, we always have options. Set it on fire. That was an option. Just torch that thing. Watch it go. I mean, that's just energy. We could, we could torch it. We could, you know, take a pickaxe to the thing or a sawzall or some other kind of destructive tool to cut it all in pieces and, and get it out here. It was suggested that we roll it down the stairs. That was a suggestion. Another suggestion was, why don't we just go ahead and toss it off the second, you know, story here of our church building and just let it fall to the ground. In the end, we decided, well, let's get a bunch of guys and we will manhandle this 800-pound monstrosity from the second floor of this church building down to the ground floor. And I literally thought someone was going to die. Because if you think about it, if you've ever been up to our children's wing, and by the way, they're doing some awesome stuff up there, um, those are narrow stairwells. And we had this 100-year-old-plus piano. And, you know, many church buildings have these old pianos, and, you know, you keep them around. I don't know why, but we had this one up there, and we knew we needed to get rid of it somehow. And there's a family in our church that wanted it, so we're like, great, we can get that down for them. We'll try to bring it down in one piece. So we had eight guys here on a Saturday and it took us hours. I mean, you could just see the brain power going out of our brains, trying to figure out exactly how eight guys are even going to fit in the stairwell. And on top of all that, carefully move a piano so that a family could still use it when we were done. Eight guys, well, I could just tell you, it's not up there anymore. We did it. Nobody died. There were a lot of scars. Yes, it was good. There were a lot of scars in the wall. And I think some of that has been fixed already. But many of us still probably have aches and pains from that experience. That is a crazy experience. Some of you have had experiences like that, where maybe you have moved big, heavy things like that, where you're pretty sure someone might get hurt. But I realized something in that whole 800-pound excursion. We needed people. You cannot do certain things alone. You just can't. There's some things you just cannot do alone, right? You know what I'm talking about. There's things where you got to have more than one person. There are just some things you cannot do by your lonesome. And some of you are fiercely independent. So let me ask you this question, and I'll, I'll know by the smiles and the laughter if it's true or not. So how many of you have attempted to do something that you knew you needed help with, but you thought, I got this? Who's done it? Yeah. Anybody got some scars to show for that, right? Okay, right? Could be something on the house. I don't need someone holding the ladder. I got the, anybody? Come on. I don't need, I don't need help. I, you know, I remember I, back in Tennessee, my wife and I, when we first moved there, you know, I was trying to make it in the music industry. We didn't have a lot of money. We were bouncing a lot of checks. Young people, checks are these things you used to write, and they had money attached to them. Well, in our case, we didn't have money attached to them. We just wrote the checks. Anyway, we bounced a lot of checks, but I remember there was one time I had a Toyota pickup, 
And I couldn't afford to take it to a shop. I didn't know anybody that was a mechanic. I just moved there. And I thought, it needs a brake job. I got this. That's what I was thinking in my idiot brain. I got this. Now, this is before YouTube. This is before you could flip. You had to like, go find a manual. And those manuals are not written for ordinary people. You cannot do a brake job from a manual from Toyota. Okay, well, some of you can. I applaud you, but I couldn't. Spent all day of my Saturday, eight hours, and I screwed it up really bad to the point where I had to get it towed to a mechanic to fix it. There are some things that, you know, we will try on our own and we will fail miserably. Look, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or you're someone who, who is very independent, we all know deep down that there are things that we cannot do alone. And that is true for our spiritual life. In fact, there is no category in Scripture for kind of a lone ranger Christian. That you're just kind of off on your own. Really, the early church was testimony to people needing to be together to walk through this Jesus thing. Because Jesus called us to a different sort of life. And it requires help. There are things we can't do alone. Now, we've been in this series called uh, Welcome to D.C., and we've been talking about values. So if you're kind of new with our church family, this is a great series for you to be in because if we go through the series and it's just not gelling with you, that we're probably not the right church, right? This is, these are values that drive what we do. Values, and look, all of us have values whether we write them down or not. Our behavior is based on the things that we value. And you see that in the way we spend money and resources and time, who we hang out with. Our, our values drive what we do. And so we're, we've been in this series talking about six core values that drive what we do here at Dallas Church. The first weekend, if you were here, and you can always catch up on, on iTunes, the first week we talked about everyday worship and prayer. And that for our church family from the beginning, we wanted to get all of us engaged in this idea that we're following Christ 168 hours of the week. And we talked about how that's the amount of hours that we have in a given week. And, and following Christ isn't a one-hour thing on Sunday morning. And we talked about the value of day by day we worship and we pray. That was our, our big point in week one. Week two, if you were, were, were here last week and you heard Andrew did a great job, we are talking about the idea of relational discipleship. And that how we learn to follow Christ is by really, you know, being modeled that by someone else. Someone who's followed Christ a little farther down the road, and we, we, we learn from each other, we model each other. Paul said, I, I follow me as I follow Christ. So last weekend, we talked about the idea of relational discipleship and that we learn to walk the way of Jesus with other people in relationship. That's why small groups are so important around here because that's a major area for where you can grow in your discipleship with Jesus. So today, we're going to move the ball forward a little bit farther, and today we're going to talk about life together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you for your love and faithfulness. We're thankful that you actually created us uh, to not only be in a relationship with you, but to be in a relationship with other people. And so, Lord, help us to, to, to not shy away from that, but embrace that together life so that we can all grow and mature in our faith and accomplish your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the scriptures, it's very clear that people are a big component to spirituality. You, you can't really get too far into Scripture without seeing people. People wrestling with the Lord, people walking with the Lord, people walking away from the Lord, people trying to figure things out together. I love, however, what we find, and it's a simple statement, just a few uh, sentences, 
in the book of Ecclesiastes. So the, the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament part of your Bible. That's in what they call the wisdom literature of the scriptures. And those include, you know, things like Job and uh, Proverbs. And so Ecclesiastes is written in the wisdom literature. And uh, there, there's kind of this clear, practical uh, reasoning behind people uh, together, living life together. And it's Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And it says this, two are better than one because they have a good uh, reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they will keep warm, but how, how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him a threefold cord is not quickly broken. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So that's in the, New, or the Old Testament wisdom literature, and it's just a basic statement. It, it, we're actually stronger when we're, we're working life together. Working through life together, when we have people in our life, we're stronger. But it's echoed in the New Testament in kind of a different light. This whole concept of doing things together is echoed in a whole different light in the New Testament. And the New Testament, we, we encounter this catchphrase that happens over a hundred times. So we've said that around here, right? Whenever, at least whenever I'm reading scripture and it's repeated at least a few times, it helps my dummy brain realize, oh, if it's being repeated, maybe this is something that's important. Over a hundred times we hear this catchphrase, and you've heard it too, if you've been around church at all, it's the one another catchphrase. It comes from a Greek term, alelon. It's the idea that we are in a one another reality when it comes to the, the teachings and the way of Jesus. There's a one another, a one another reality in following Christ. Now, of those hundred, about 30% of those one another's are all about getting along. Now you're thinking, why do we need to be told that many times that we ought to get along? Because we struggle with getting along. So scripture has to tell us, you need help getting along. I mean, many of us in this church family, we've had arguments, disagreements. Some of you, I've had arguments and disagreements with. We're still in the same family. I still love you. We're still following Jesus together. But there's an important thing about following Jesus, and it has to do with unity, and that's how we, again, keep that together life going. In fact, here's just a few. Here's some highlights. Be at peace with one another. You know, that may be the one scripture you heard today that might really be something that God's speaking to your heart about, right? You have this conflict with somebody, and you're like, man, we, we, I need to pursue peace in this relationship. That may be you today. Another one in John 6, 43 says, don't grumble against one another. Romans 12, 6 says, be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another. Now, these sound good to say, but they're harder sometimes when we play them out in life-to-life situations, right? Be at peace, don't grumble, accept one another. Another one in Colossians 3 says, to bear and forgive one another. That probably right there is one that many of us need to spend some time thinking and praying and really living through. The idea of bearing one another. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a conversation and the other person is saying something is, that you know is wrong? How do you handle that situation? Do you sit there lovingly and let them continue their diatribe? 
do you jump in and say, eh, you're wrong right there. You see, sometimes bearing with one another is difficult. Learning to say the right thing at the right time, that takes some supernatural help sometimes. Because you can be right and lose a relationship. Right? So bearing one another, that's hard. How about forgiving one another? That is super hard. We live in a smaller town. And so some of you will, you know, you'll see me at Safeway. You'll see other people at Safeway or or Grocery Outlet or Walmart, whatever it is. It's kind of awkward, isn't it, sometimes when you see people and maybe there's been a, you know, disagreeance or have you you had this experience or is it just me? (laughs) Okay, maybe I'm just confessing. This is group therapy for me, so just, you know, show the love. Where something awkward's happened, it could be your fault, maybe not be your fault, I don't know. But it feels, you know, different. We forgive one another and that's hard to do. So 30% of these one another's, remember our catchphrase of life together is the one another's. 30% of those are all about unity and, and, and getting along with each other, pursuing peace as much as it depends on us, right? That's pursuing peace. There's another scripture that I think is interesting. Why Paul would put these words down for this, I'm not sure. But he says, in, in, and this is crazy, Galatians 5:15. don't bite, devour, and consume one another. That's, that makes me think that maybe there were some people in the town of Galatia, in the church, that were literally kind of being mean to each other. They were biting and devouring one another, and they were really kind of demeaning one another. And so Paul's like, that's not how we operate if we're following Jesus. We don't bite and devour and consume one another. That's not how it works. Now, another 30% of those, those one another's have to do with loving one another in a selfless way, a selfless way. In, in, the, in the, the Greek language, there's a word for love, and it's called agape, and it's kind of this idea of a supernatural love where you'd put someone else's needs above your own. Now, that really doesn't make a lot of practical sense, but it makes God sense. You see, when you put someone else's needs above your own, you're acting like Jesus did for us. You're modeling the kind of love that God has for us, and that's a hard kind of love. That means that I literally want to see you succeed before I do. Now, how do, you, how do you feel about that? Have you ever been in a situation where someone has gotten something that you think you deserve better? Has that ever happened to you? might be a promotion. It might be maybe a windfall from a dead relative. You're like, how come that couldn't have been me? We start thinking that way. Agape supernatural love says we're going to put someone else's needs above our own and we're going to celebrate someone else. That is hard to do. Celebrating someone else's victory, you know what I'm saying? That's hard to do. It's hard for me to do. That we're going to love someone with a selfless sort of love. First Peter, uh, there's several phrases of, of the one another's in here, but he says this, just love one another. And that's the word there's agape one another. Put someone else's needs above your own. Galatians, that same passage we were just talking about, about biting and devouring, right next to it, it says, here's the remedy. It says, lovingly serve one another. Lovingly serve one another. Okay, let's pause for a second. Have you ever served somebody and you didn't want to? Come on. Where you've done something and you didn't want to do it. You put on a good face, but you didn't want to do it. I know there's some moms in this room that have had to do that for years. You know, you didn't want to do it, but you did it. Some dads out there that, yeah, I'm going to go to another practice. I'm going to go to another, you know what I'm saying? We're going to lovingly serve one another. 
lovingly serve one another. And here's another one, Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another, devoted. That means I got your back. And as a church family, that's a powerful thing. If I've got your back, you know, if you need something, I got your back. Be devoted to one another. Now, another about 15% of these one another's, that catchphrase we're talking about, they refer to, and this is interesting, they refer to humility and giving deference to someone else. Letting someone else have the floor. Letting someone else have the spotlight. That's hard to do too. Some of you know this from your work life or business life or even in your own family. Have you ever had that family member or friend that just seems to talk always about themselves all the time? You know what I'm saying? It's where you don't even want to enter that conversation because they're just going to talk and you're, you're praying the whole time you're having the conversation. You're trying to engage with them, but the whole time you're thinking, it's not all about you. Showing deference to someone else can be difficult. That's a spiritual gifting right there. That, we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to do these one another's. It says to wash the feet of one another. Now I realize it's a little different now. I don't know what the equivalent of washing feet would be now. Because if you think about it now, we have shoes. I'm not walking around in sandals. Some of you are, okay, some of you may be walking in, around in sandals, but, you know, I got socks on. Okay, I get it. Sometimes people wear sandals and they wear socks. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to get there. The point is I think it's a little different now than it was in the first century where, you know, they're walking around, there's dusty feet. You know, they got to walk. That's a, that's a pretty humiliating thing. Jesus did it. You know, there toward the end, he kind of did that as he modeled that for his disciples. He got on his knees, washed their nasty feet and toe jam, and did it with a smile on his face. I don't know what the equivalent of washing someone's feet is now. That might be mowing a lawn. Or it could be, you know, doing someone's dishes when you know they're in the hospital. Or I don't know what that might be, but serving one another, washing the feet of one another, doing something extraordinary for someone else. There's some other ones here. Don't be haughty to one another. Don't, don't be, don't be uh, you know, proud with people, you know, saying you're all that, you know, showing humility. Don't, being, don't be haughty. Be subject to one another. You know, that comes right out of Ephesians 5, which really talks about the idea of a beauty, a beautiful marriage would be mutual submission, that we would submit to one another. And that's hard to do in our culture too. Submit to one another. That's hard how about this? And this is probably the, the best way to wrap up all these one another's. This is the catchphrase right here. It says, regard others more important than yourselves. That's from Philippians 2.3. And there's more. Look at that. That's your homework this week. Look at the one another's. Find those catchphrases. You can do that, you know, in your Bible app, Bible Gateway. There's a lot of ways you can kind of look at all the one another's, how they kind of play in and play out with each other. There's, there's more. There's like bearing one another's burdens. There's being truthful to each other. There's comforting and encouraging one another. There's building others up, praying for and being hospitable. You see, here at, at our church family, we want to do life together. We're a community of the called out ones. And that means we're going to do things a little differently than maybe, maybe others might do that in our culture. That we're going to go out of our way to show love and deference and put someone else's needs above our own because we value life together. And that's how we work together. Jesus gave, him a, uh, gave us a mission, and when we work together, that mission gets accomplished. 
we reflect Jesus' model of togetherness in life. Now, if you've, if you've ever studied much of the life of Jesus, to me, I'm always fascinated by how much he involved people intentionally. Like from the beginning, even when it was inconvenient, he seemed to involve people. He seemed to allow himself to be interrupted. He seemed to allow himself, even when he was tired, to be woken up in a boat because they're all freaking out. He, he allowed himself people in his life. We reflect his model when we do life together. He modeled for us that being his follower, being part of the church is a team sport, not a solo sport. It's a team sport, not a solo sport. This morning, I was doing some time with the Lord about 6.30 this morning, and it's like, I just kind of barely awake. I'm looking at my, my devotional. I've been going through a devotional for the 40 days of Lent, and I've been really enjoying what, I, what I've been going through. If you want to see what I'm doing, talk to me later. But the devotional today struck me in this, this whole thing we're talking about. Do you remember, and if you don't, that's okay, on Jesus' last night, he was having a kind of a rough night. You remember the story? We'll, we'll, we'll relieve that. The closer we get to Easter, we'll talk more about that. But his last night was kind of a rough night. You know, one of his inner circle guys betrayed him, you know, walked out on him. That's not cool. You know, his 11 were confused. They didn't really know what was going on. Jesus is having this last meal with them, and he's talking about, you know, the idea of, you know, giving his life and giving his body, and they weren't really getting it. And he's just having a rough time because he knows in just a few hours he's going to be in an, in an amazing amount of pain. He's God of the universe. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. So what is it? What, when he's having a rough night, when you're having a rough night, do you go off alone? you kind of go pity party? What does Jesus do? when he's going through one of the worst nights of his life, what does he do? He, he invites some friends. Kind of, some, kind of his inner three, Peter, James, and John. And what does he ask them to do? Would you come with me? You know? Look, it's the God of the universe. I get it. You're already making the argument in your head. Well, you know, God didn't really need them. You know, you know, I get that, okay? He's the God of the universe, but he's going through a rough night. Humanity's been, been crazy for, for God. He put on flesh and walked among us and his body's tired and, he's, and he's, he knows what he's going to face. And here's the God of the universe and he asked three friends to come with him. And yes, he knows they're already tired. He probably already knows the minute he's going to start praying, what are they going to do? They start falling asleep. What a support system. But do you notice something interesting about Jesus' choice there in one of the worst times of his life he invites some friends to enter into his pain with him. You catching that a little bit? He invited some friends into his pain. Some of you got some pain that you've not let people into. You're trying to do it on your own, like trying to lift a big old 800-pound piece of piano all on your own. You can't do it. You could try, but you'll be hurt badly. Some of you have some pain that you have not allowed friends into. Jesus, on the last night of his life, he modeled for us that it's okay to share your, the burdens on your heart with somebody. Did you, did you catch that? That just blew me away this morning. He, he brought some friends with him, and it, they didn't fix it for him. What did they do for him? They fell asleep, but he wanted them near. 
you might be going through something that you need to bring some, some, some people into. It's okay to share your heart's burdens with others. Christians do life together. In 1 Corinthians 12, we're called a body. And we've talked about this before, and many of you have seen this scripture before, but there's a sense as we're following Jesus that we're part of a body, that we all have different gifts and abilities that we use together to strengthen and make the body healthy and whole. We're called to work together, humanity working together for the sake of Jesus' mission. If we, do it, if we try to do it alone, the body is weakened and the mission suffers. We do this together. And that's really what membership at this church is really all about. That's why we do starting point. Is everybody on the same page? Let's move together then. Everybody use your giftings and let's move forward. That's what membership is really all about. Membership in in the church, not just our church, should be everybody using their giftings to make it a healthy place and move the mission forward. So how do we do life together as a church? Here's some practical things as we wrap up. Some things that we can do to do life together. First of all, one of the best ways that I found was serving with someone. Serving in a ministry team, serving week in, week out. Back when I first got out of college and I had my first job, my wife and my family were living in Tennessee, and I just jumped in on the youth team. I helped with the youth team, and then, you know, they found out that I could play some guitar, so I played on the music team. Someone thought, you know, hey, you might be able to give a lesson once in a while. So I just kind of jumped in on some teams, and I got to know people. I still have those people as Facebook friends, and they're real friends, okay? We talk to each other. We visit each other. Those are people that I served on teams with a long time ago. Those are incredible places to develop a life together. Here's the second thing. Meeting together, meeting with one another in smaller groups. This is why I'm in ministries because I, I was in a small group in this little town south of Nashville, Tennessee. And I was with some people and we challenged each other to listen to God. And it was a small group that changed the whole course of my life. You need to be in a small group. We have some great ones. There's a wall right over there. There's plenty of room for you in one of those small groups. Here's another one. This is the third one. Celebrating together. That's why we do what we do right here. We're celebrating together. There's something that can't happen any other place, any other way than people in the room, shaking hands, hugging, making coffee plans, lunch plans, dinner plans. If you haven't done that today, before you leave today, find someone in this room, I'm going to make a coffee plan. I don't know them. Let's have coffee, let's have dinner, let's do something like that. Celebrating together in our worship gatherings. This is a great spot to be able to get those connections and make those connections. We're here together for this one day. We have a few hours together. Let's make some plans. Here's, here's the last one, and this is so crazy, but I love it. Enjoying meals together. This is simple, but it really works. Think of how many times in the New Testament, if you've read through this, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, look at how many times food was involved. There was food miracles. They're having food together. People are angry at Jesus over food. People are happy with Jesus over food. There's a lot of food in the New Testament. Make some meals with folks. Those are huge. They're simple. No, you don't have to solve every theological problem because you're having a meal with someone else at church. You don't have to like solve all the doctrinal issues about the end times and all that stuff. Have a meal together. Talk about your kids. Hug. I don't know. But make those meal plans because it's huge. And that's our challenge. This is your challenge every Sunday. Find someone that you haven't had lunch with and go have, hang out with them. Make, a, make a, a coffee plan. Do it. Be intentional about that. Be intentional. It's prime time. Here's our only takeaway today. We are better together. We are. 
It's scriptural. We just looked at that. That's how we learn patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control because we're working together. We are better together. Take, initi- take initiative. Be intentional about life together. Make those plans. Be intentional about grabbing coffee. It's, it's, it's huge. Imagine if we could do that better, if we could do life together better. I think people would feel more supported and more loved if we could be intentional about doing life together. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness. Your mercies are new. Lord, we want to be a close-knit brotherhood and sisterhood. We want to be a close-knit family. Even with all of our scars and and bruises and and issues, Father, we want to be a close-knit family that does life together so that we can accomplish your mission and wow the world with your love. Empower us for that work. In Jesus' name, amen.